Hello and welcome back. This is the Proper Video Marketing Podcast, episode number three. I'm your host, Amir, and this show is produced as ever by Apricot Video Marketing. So today we're going to be talking about one of my all-time favourite subjects I'm absolutely fascinated by. It's a massive subject and I could probably do an entire series of podcasts on the topic. Um, But after strategy and empathy, it's our third pillar of video marketing. And that is the art and science of persuasion. Now, persuasion is something that I've studied pretty deeply uh, for the past few years. Uh, I suppose you could say I'm a trained persuader. I've had training in uh, hypnosis, hypnotherapy, NLP, cognitive psychology, uh, behavioral economics, uh, commercial persuasion. So it's something that I find absolutely fascinating, not just you know for business and for marketing, etc., but just in the way that we work. But if you want to make really good video content, then I've come to realize that you need a really good understanding of persuasion. And that's what we're going to cover today. We're going to go pretty deep on a few things and hopefully you will find it super interesting. That's my job today to make it interesting and as fun as it can possibly be. So why is persuasion important to to video marketing? Why is it one of our four pillars of video marketing? Well, if you think about what it is that we do as marketers fundamentally, we are in the business of influencing decisions. So we need to understand how people are making those decisions if we want to influence them. We're fundamentally wanting to make some kind of change. That's what we want to affect. And by that, I mean changes in behavior, thoughts, feelings towards our product that are going to affect a decision because we want people to choose us. We want to create that change flow from getting someone who's never heard of us to know, like, and trust us. That's change. Or from getting somebody that buys from a competitor to feel more close closely aligned with our offering. That's change. That's fundamentally our job. And the tools of persuasion are the tools that we use to affect that change and have that impact on decisions. So that's why persuasion is important. But what is it? How are we going to define that? Well, I'm going to use a very simple definition and I define persuasion. It's effectively the process of getting someone to do something that is ultimately of benefit to them. Persuasion is ethical and it's based on trust. That is, if someone doesn't trust you, they won't be persuaded. They cannot be persuaded if they don't trust you. And just to clear up and highlight the difference, manipulation, on the other hand, is getting someone to do something where there is either no benefit to them or they come to some kind of loss or harm. And the manipulator benefit. So manipulation is obviously unethical and it's sly and it's underhand. uh, And we want to avoid being manipulators and we want to be good persuaders. Persuasion is what we want to excel at because it's good for us, it's good for our customers. So with a topic like persuasion that's so broad and that's so sprawling, where do we start? Where's a good place to start? Well, I think because a lot of what we do is about affecting decisions, we need to have a solid understanding of how human beings make decisions. And to understand that, we need to understand and realise human beings are not the rational and logical creatures that you might think we are. We're actually irrational. And to help us understand this, this is where we need to talk about a book called Thinking Fast and Slow by a chap called Daniel Kahneman. And if you get the chance to pick this up, it is well worth a read because basically what it does is to lift the lid on how we operate as humans. So, Kahneman says that as humans, we have two modes of thought. We have system one and system two. 
System 1 thinking is fast, it's emotional, it's irrational, it's unconscious, whereas System 2 is a slower, more deliberate and logic-based thought. System 1 is governed by what are known as heuristics and biases, and these are effectively mental shortcuts or rules of thumb that we use to make decisions quickly. For example, confirmation bias. Confirmation bias is a bias, whereas what we do is we seek out and value information that backs up a choice that we've already made. So a good example of that at the moment is the Brexit debate. So no matter which side of the fence you sit on, we are more likely to agree with and place more value on tweets, videos, blogs, articles, etc. that already back up what we think. So rather than going through and evaluating the validity of that piece of information, because it already backs up what we think or a choice that we've made, we place a disproportionate amount of value upon that. And that happens without us realising it's a bias. It's something that we just do automatically. Okay, so before we go on, let's break away from this just for a moment or two, uh, because I want to do something a little bit random, and that is a spot of mathematics. Um, so what I want you to do is just to listen to the puzzle that I'm about to, to read you, uh, and then think of them to try and solve that puzzle. So if a bat and a ball together cost £1.10, so in total they cost £1.10, the bat costs £1 more than the ball. How much does the ball cost? So I'll repeat that. If a bat and ball together cost £1.10 and the bat costs £1 more than the ball, how much does the ball cost? So what's your answer? What springs to mind? Well, if you're like most people, and when I first heard this puzzle, I put myself in this bracket, you'll say that the answer is 10 pence because it feels right. Yeah, But if you thought the answer is 10p, you would be incorrect. The correct answer is actually 5 pence. So let's just work through this to understand it. So if the ball costs 10p and the bat costs £1 more, the bat would actually cost £1.10. So the total cost would be £1.20, which is 10p plus £1.10. So the ball must be 5p. The bat is £1.5. So together, they're £1.10. Those of you that got the answer of 10 pence, what just happened to get you there with the result of a heuristic, a mental shortcut or rule of thumb? And because the answer felt right, we interpreted it as being correct. And that was basically system one thinking in motion. And that puzzle has become fairly famous in the world of behavioral psychology. And it first appears in Daniel Kahneman's Thinking Fast and Slow. Um, I'm just gonna go to the book to read a passage. So from the book. A number came to your mind. The number, of course, is 10. The distinctive mark of this easy puzzle is that it evokes an answer that's intuitive, appealing, and wrong. Do the math and you will see. If the ball costs 10 pence, then the total cost will be £1.20. 10p for the ball and £1.10 for the bat. Not £1.10 overall. The correct answer is 5p. It is safe to assume that the intuitive answer also came to mind to those who ended up with the correct number, but they somehow managed to resist the intuition. 
The bat and ball problem is our first encounter with an observation that will be a recurrent theme of this book. Many people are overconfident, prone to place too much faith in their intuitions. They apparently find cognitive effort at least mildly unpleasant and avoid it as much as possible. So that there, that little experiment and that passage from the book is a really interesting insight into how we make decisions. Now this gets even more interesting when you consider a stat that the Harvard Business Review website published and it said that as consumers 95% of our decisions are made when we're in system one mode which is the automatic and unconscious way of thinking. So when you consider that it's really a game changer. I mean it blew my mind when I read and understood that and it helps us to see that why only selling on features and benefits really isn't the best way because we're not communicating with the system where the majority of our decisions come from. Now, that's not to say there's not a place for features, benefits, facts and figures because there is and we'll get to that later but in terms of what's most effective they're not going to cut it when we have to appeal to the more unconscious and emotional way of thinking. So you may have heard the saying that we make decisions emotionally and then use logic to back that up. Well, that's kind of true. It's not 100% accurate. What is more accurate is that what happens is what we tend to make decisions unconsciously using the biases and heuristics from system one. And then that is communicated to the conscious mind using an emotion. So for example, it will feel good or it will feel right. And then what we do, we go off in search for logic to make sense of that emotion. And this process has been scrutinized by neuroscientists and shown in experiments. And if you're a geek and you want to dig into the science of it all, there's a paper on Scientific America called The Split Brain Revisited. Uh, and that is one such experiment that demonstrates that. But back to what we're talking about and the link between the unconscious emotion and logic in our decision making. We are as humans meaning seeking creatures and we mostly use stories to make sense of the world around us. So this process of looking for reasons to justify something unconscious is something that we do far more than we realise. And if we want to be good persuaders with our video content, it's something that we're going to have to embrace. Now, I know I've gone a little bit sciencey, but I thought it was important that we understand some of the fundamentals of how we actually make decisions before we talk about specific ways to persuade. So now, knowing what we know, how can this help us as marketers to create persuasive video content. Well, there are many ways, and I mean many, many ways to persuade. And the best way to persuade is very contextual. So who we're trying to persuade and what we want them to do. But for now, I'm going to stay aligned with what we've discussed so far and no doubt come back to uh, this topic of persuasion in future episodes. So if we're looking at persuasion as affecting decisions in our customer, then we need to go back and consider that statistic from earlier on, that 95% of consumer decisions are made with system one thinking, fast and unconscious, so that when people are in a buying situation, they don't necessarily bring to mind the best brand or the one that's best value for money. What comes to mind is the most accessible brand. So how do we become the most accessible brand? We develop what's known as brand salience. And brand salience is the degree to which your brand comes to mind when a customer is in a buying situation. Strong brands have a high degree of salience and weak brands have a low degree of salience. And there are many ways in which we can build this, but I'm going to focus on a couple of principles from behavioral economics that if you embrace over the long term are going to go a long way in developing brand salience. And these two principles are the mere exposure effect and the von Restorff effect. So some quick definitions. The mere exposure effect is basically a phenomenon that says that when we're exposed to a thing, like a message for example, the more we're exposed to it, the more we tend to favour it. And the von Restorff effect states that when we're faced with lots of stimuli, like messages for example, that are similar, the stimulus that stands out the most 
is more likely to be remembered. Now, these are very robust principles that are backed by scientific study, and we know that they work because we understand how humans make decisions, mostly using system one thinking. So how do we use these in our video marketing? Well, it's a blend of being visible over a long period of time using the mirror exposure, and then making sure that our videos are distinctive from those in our category, which is the Von Restorff principle. So to put it in other words, if you keep on showing up and are visible to your audience, and if you stand out over the long term, then you're more likely to be remembered at those key buying moments when system one is in the driving seat. So to be more tactical, things like regular video campaigns, and they have to be regular so that you're consistently visible, say like two, three, four a year, and then backed up with day-to-day -day marketing activity can really, really help in that area. Because what you want is to build that familiarity with your audience, because as we know from the mirror exposure effect, the more familiar your audience are with you, the more they're likely to prefer you. And one thing that I find super interesting is that this principle ties in so well with the link between share of voice and share of market. A brand share of voice is basically the amount of marketing and advertising they put into a market in comparison to the competition. And share of voice has been proven to be a predictor of future share of market. And there's a good 30 years or so worth of data to back that up. And I think I first read about this in a report called The Long and Short of It that's well worth a look. And the report shows that if you want to grow your share of market, if you focus on growing your brand share of voice against your competition, growth in share of market usually follows. And given the mere exposure effect, it makes sense. Obviously, there are caveats that Increasing your share of voice takes time. And then there's a small matter of obviously getting your strategy and your messaging right. But it's there, a simple framework for growing your brand and it's backed by data and by science. Now, of course, there's no point in running regular video campaigns if you're just going to blend into the landscape of your competition. So we have to embrace the Von Restorff effect here to make sure that our brand is distinctive. And in terms of video, the tools we have are storytelling, brand codes, shapes, and colors. And a good way to go about creating video content that stands out in the category is to do a category gap analysis. So that is looking at video content in your category, a critical mass of it, and drawing trends and similarities. So you might find that a particular style is prevalent or lots of brands are doing a specific kind of explainer video, for example. And you need to know these trends so that you can strategically avoid them so you don't blend in. Now, I know it can be intimidating or feel a bit risky to go against the grain of a category, but as author of The Choice Factory, Richard Shotton says, it's actually more risky going with category conventions because you won't stand out and you raise your probability of success by breaking convention and relying on the Von Restorff principle, which is a robust and well-researched principle. Like I said, Richard Shotton is the author of The Choice Factory, and that's um, a really good place to start if you want to get into behavioral economics. It's a very accessible book, well worth the read. So creating video content that no one else in your category is making will help you gain that distinctiveness. And again, it's going to help develop that brand salience, which as we know, has a direct impact on decisions in our audience. So toward the start of this episode, I said that there was a place for facts, features, and benefits. You just can't only use those to sell and market your stuff. And I wanna talk about that now. So we know that we mostly make decisions in system one mode, that is unconscious and automatically. And then this is communicated to our conscious via emotions. And then we go off in search of meaning, often using facts and logic to make sense of that. So this is how we want to use features, benefits, and facts as supporting content that our audience will use to help justify their decisions. If you think of the sales and marketing funnel from top 
to bottom. From what I've seen and understood over the years, video content gets less emotional and more logical the further down the funnel we go. So at the top, we have brand awareness content. It's often entertaining and it's typically emotionally driven. In the middle, very common content types are things like customer stories and case studies. Now these are interesting because they actually blend stories and facts and figures from good outcomes that customers have had. And then at the bottom of the funnel, we have things like product videos, which show features and benefits and strong call to actions just to push people over the edge. So thinking of your funnel in this way gives your audience everything they need to be persuaded to choose you. So let's look at a couple of examples now. Look at Nike at the top of the funnel. They run campaigns like the Colin Kaepernick video campaign. I mean, they've won an Emmy for that video. There's emotion, there's inspiration, there's purpose behind it. It stands out. That's top of the funnel content. But if we go onto one of their product pages, that is bottom of the funnel, you're not going to find story-based content on there. It's functional. You'll see a pair of running shoes being put on, for example. That's it. They lead with emotion and they back up with logic. ASOS are another good example. Their YouTube channel has a bunch of lifestyle videos, lookbooks, etc. It's stuff that their audience will get excited about and enjoy watching, and it adds value at the top of the funnel. But get onto one of their product pages, and the video content is, again, very, very functional. Seven to 10 seconds of basically someone doing a twirl in a pair of jeans or a jumper. And again, they're leading with emotion at the top of the funnel and logic at the bottom. So if you can marry up your video content with this framework, you'll find that as a collective of content, it'll be very persuasive because you're giving your audience everything that they need. Okay, so let's just recap for a moment. We've looked at persuasion as affecting decisions in our audience. That's how we understand what persuasion is. And we've dipped into how we make decisions and that system one thinking tends to be dominant when we are choosing. We've looked at a couple of principles from behavioral economics that help us to develop brand salience. And we've looked at the marketing funnel through the lens of persuasion. That is understanding that content tends to be more emotive at the top of the funnel and more logical at the bottom of the funnel. And that this mirrors the process of how we make and understand our own decisions. I'm uh, just looking at the mind map that I've created in preparation for this show. And there's still an amazing amount of stuff that I've not gone into that I've not spoken about. Uh, storytelling, for example, as a tool of persuasion. I've not looked at humor as persuasion or things like association or the principle of identity or nudges or Seth Godin's sentence of people like us do things like this as persuasion there's just so so much um but i think i want to leave it here for now um and i'm going to come back to some of these other tools of persuasion at later episodes with some guests because there's just too much to cover in a show like i said at the start i could probably do a series of podcasts just on this topic but i hope that you found this episode useful and interesting like i said persuasion is such a huge area I could never comprehensively cover it all in a single episode. Um, but I hope that what I've covered, this thin slither of persuasion and behavioral science, has given some direction of what you can do with video content uh, that's going to be sustainably persuasive to your audience so that they choose you over the competition. As ever, if you've got any questions, you can tweet me. Uh, I'm at apricot underscore Amir, or you can send me an email, amir at apricotvideomarketing.com. Right, so that's it for episode three. Episode four, coming in a couple of weeks' time, is the fourth pillar of video marketing, which is analytics, and I am going to geek out at that one. So please join me for that. But for now, thank you so much for taking the time to listen. I hope you've enjoyed this episode, and let's speak soon. Thank you.